from Philadelphia. We got to unmute Claire real quick. Let's see. Hi, guys. Thank go. you. It wouldn't unmute. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Claire Alcoholic. It's good to be here. Thank you, Travis, for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. It's late. It's like uh, there's a guy here from Boston. So I'm on this Eastern Standard. I'm on the same time zone as you. Um, it's 10 15 and I said, Travis, I'm afraid I won't be able to stay awake. So, um, I just had to drink a little more caffeine today. Anyhow, um, I'm recovered alcoholic. I'm certainly not cured of this. I, um, I have a sobriety date. It is July 25th, 1989. I have a home group. I actually have two. One is in-person home group. Uh, it is a church basement meeting. It has been my home group for 26 years. I have a Zoom home group, which is a big book study, sort of like this, a line by line reading. Um, I've got to tell you, you guys um, would really put us to shame. I think in the beginning when I was watching all the announcements and there was music in the background, I'm like, oh yeah, we don't have it like this. But uh, what I loved about this group was every time someone entered the room, you guys all welcomed them and said hello. And uh, that did my heart good. And it always does. And I try to do that at my home group. Um, currently, I hold a service position at my physical home group where I am the alternate GSR. I think I've held every position there. It's, it's been a home group of mine forever, feels like. Um, I have a sponsor. Her name is Sarah S. from Pottsville, Pennsylvania, uh, who's sponsored by Erica M. in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, coming from that lineage. Um, I sponsor other alcoholics, and I don't know where I'd be without sponsorship, both um, having a sponsor and being um, having the gift of sponsoring alcoholics. Uh, service certainly has been a huge part of my recovery and um, it really helps me to stay connected and involved in AA. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know when that happened, but I know where it happened and that was in AA. It wasn't like that for a really long time. Um, let's see. I um, my parents, I'll tell you what it was like a little bit. My parents had way too many kids. I could say it. I know people always say they come from this big Catholic family or, you know, big families. And I am number 13 out of 14 kids. So I think I'm the winner. <laughs> I don't know what I want. I have 45 nieces and nephews. And um, I have a loving family that cared enough about me to get me some help. And really, that's how I got the Alcoholics Anonymous. I certainly didn't see it that way, what it was happening, um, but I'm very and forever grateful to them for getting me the help that I needed, that I didn't even know that I needed. Um, my parents worked really hard. Um, they sent all of us to Catholic school and I kind of felt like it was a ripoff, you know? I never got anything I wanted for Christmas. Um, 
They paid too much money in tuition. And had they not paid tuitions, we would have been rich. That was my story. Um, and, uh, you know, I picked up a drink when I was a kid. I knew nothing about alcoholism. And to tell you the truth, I sat in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for a really long time and had no idea what I suffered from, uh, what the real problem was. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. You know, when I got sober in 1989 in this area, um, not many people carried a big book. And that might, may seem a little crazy to some people and maybe even shocking to others. But uh, we got sober through the 12 and 12. That's what they used back then um, in this area. Um, there was a lot of clubhouse meetings and there was a lot of uh, just don't drink groups and messages and that you do a step a year. And that's really how I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's what it looked like. There was no big book studies, never even heard of one. And, um, and so I remember one of the first things that I heard in an AA meeting was don't get too well too quick. And I didn't, um, <laughs> because of what I, you know, because of in a sense of how I was raised in AA. And, um, and here's the miracle is that God kept me sober anyhow. Didn't matter that I didn't open a big book. It didn't matter that I didn't understand what was going on here or what I suffer from, or that nobody that was armed with the facts approached me. It was just like, you know, we went to a lot of speaker discussion meetings where you raised your hand and you talked about how your day was. And, and here's the thing, like, I, I think what saved me in a sense was service because I had a lot of service positions back then and I was running around AA, um, you know, they told me to make a meeting every single day and, and that's what I thought you did here. I mean, I was clueless and, um, and in a sense, I think service saved me. I, um, but I think if you're a real alcoholic of the hopeless variety, um, something's going to happen where that's not going to sustain you. Right. And this internal condition that I suffer from starts to get worse and worse and worse. And, um, and I'm tormented by alcoholism, completely sober without a drink near me and have no idea what I'm suffering from. And so, um, you know, I just, uh, I, I jump all over the place. Sorry guys. Um, so, you know, when I picked up a drink as a kid, I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't know anything about alcoholism. All I knew was that the effect that alcohol produced in me was that I got relief. When I took a drink, all this anxiety I have, um, all this, um, you know, feeling like uh, this was the theme of my life, that I, I'm not enough and nobody cares about me, all seemed to melt away. I stopped for the first time thinking about myself. And, and if you're like me, as self-centered as I am, to the extreme, that was a miracle, right? The magical elixir. And, it, and that's what it took away from me. That extreme like self-consciousness, uh, self-centered fear, what people thought about me. Uh, like I didn't have to you know, think about what I was going to say next. I, I felt really free. And that's what the beginning of my drinking looked like. And that's not what it looked like in the end. And um, I didn't know that I had a was suffering from a progressive fatal illness. I didn't understand any of this. All I knew was that things were just getting worse and worse and worse. And I thought it was like 
external circumstances, which was happening to me, was the problem. And if I could just, you know, get people off of my back, or if I could just get separated for a little bit, that's what I thought, I could drink like a normal person. What I didn't understand was this um, physical reaction that I had to alcohol, that once I took a drink, I couldn't stop drinking right? That I actually had a craving for more, that my body was demanding more. And I didn't understand that. And honestly, I didn't understand it for a really long time, sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I don't even like saying this, but I was eight years sober before I opened a big book. And um, I was like mental from untreated alcoholism. And uh, I don't have like a, like this happy story. I, it was painful. And, um, but what I didn't understand, I think most importantly was that the, the, this, the part of powerlessness that I didn't understand is once I was separated, right. That my own mind would take me back to a drink that I would have like these, uh, suddenlies and mental blank spots and, um, this peculiar mental twist that the big book talks about that my mind would tell me that it wasn't that bad that I could drink successfully or that um, it'll be different this time. And, and what was I going on about? And, you know, I had a lot of external unmanageability, which I thought for years and years in Alcoholics Anonymous, that that's what unmanageability was losing jobs, uh, you know, um, crashing cars, getting arrested, like all this stuff, right. Consequences. That's what I thought unmanageability was, and uh, I was a long time sober before I really understood that the internal condition, this restless, irritable discontentedness, this spiritual malady, which was causing me um, such torment, sober, uh, the bedevilments, like I, I never even heard of these things. And I'm sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm chairing meetings, and I'm speaking at meetings and I'm running around in service and not having a clue of what alcoholism is. I gotta tell you, I have a wicked ass spiritual malady and I hope that's the only time I curse, um, that I didn't understand. I thought I had something else, you know? Like if you have alcoholism and, and you think you're treating it, which I thought I was for the longest time um, and you're really suffering internally um, that, you know, this having trouble in personal relationships, a prey to misery and depression, a feeling of uselessness. If, if all this is going on, like I started to think, and I had multiple, multiple years sober, that it was something other than alcoholism, if that makes sense. And, um, and so I don't know if I thought I had something science didn't even discover yet, but I didn't know really that that was the alcoholism. And, um, and so, you know, when I say that I didn't open a book till I was eight years sober, I probably didn't start taking like real action of um, service and sponsoring others and carrying the message and doing inventories and until I was about 12 years sober. And so at 12 years sober, I think, oh, now I finally understand this. Now I know what we do here. And, and what I didn't realize this whole time was like I was, had, you know, when I came to AA, God was big, right? God was huge. I talked to God all day long. And, um, and, and then, you know, when you're like 12 years sober, 
what I didn't realize was that I had become so self-reliant and that I traveled with an agnostic through the years. And I had like these old ideas about God and, and, um, and yet I thought I had a relationship with God. And, um, and so I, um, I asked God for a lot of stuff. I prayed for a lot of stuff, you know, and, uh, I, I didn't really understand what exactly people were talking about, right? Having a personal relationship with God. And, but by that time, I started to hide behind my time in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And, and, and that's a dangerous place for alcoholics is that we're, we become like um, this, I guess, stage character in AA, right? And, and we think that... Um, by having time, it actually means something. And in a sense, it was like a detriment because I was starting to hide behind that time. And I was afraid to tell somebody that I was really suffering in AA. And I didn't understand what was wrong with me because I, I thought that they would think that I was doing something wrong or I wasn't trusting God. And, and so I, um, I got sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, so I've had a lot of different experiences in the rooms of AA and um, I never left AA. I was three and a half years sober and I was in a mental hospital um, on a locked ward, lighting cigarettes off the wall. We had this lighter on the wall. And um, I, I had this thought like, well, maybe I should sponsor people. Like I was <laughs> as if people were lining up to, you know, they wanted what I had. And, um, and the funny part is, is like, I never realized what self-reliance looked like that I was, I kept going back to my own mind to figure things out. Right. That, um, my mind was broken when it came to alcohol. Right. I, that was clear to me, but I really didn't understand that I kept trying to figure stuff out and I should be able, able to figure stuff out. And I would argue, well, you know, for after all, God gave us a brain to use. Like, you know, I would use these like little lines out of the book and, and, you know, throw them at people. And uh, I was completely unraveling. Like I did not understand what was going on with me. And so at 12 years when I thought, oh, now I understand. And this is what you do here. Um, I kind of wrote that out for a little while and, and, and I, you know, I had like a spiritual awakening and I felt like I was really on fire for AA and uh, a few things happened, I guess about 15 years sober, my sister and I thought it was a really good idea to open a restaurant. And I don't know if any of you um, had that experience, but there was no, I didn't run this by God or a sponsor or anyone. And, um, and so I, uh, yeah, we made that mistake of opening a restaurant and within a few years, uh, we're going to kill each other, right? We're financially insecure. Um, I'm trying to, you know, figure out how to get more money, how to pay the bills. Financial insecurity can drive people really crazy. And especially if you don't, if you're not God reliant. And, um, and I thought I was, see, I think this, um, the book talks about, you know, being self-deceived and um, every form of self-deception. And I think I probably hit every form of self-deception and not even knowing that I was self-deceived. But um, 
I really thought that I, you know, like was living the way God intended for me to live because I, on the outside, it looked like I was doing things, right? I, I have a home group. I have sponsees. I have a sponsor. I'm making meetings. You know, I'm in service, all this, like, you know, but the truth is I was so completely self-reliant and, and didn't know it. I was not awake and aware to what was really going on with that. I was trying to run my life the way I wanted to run it. And that I would ask God for things that would, um, it, there was always a selfish motive, right? How would, how would it affect me? Or, you know, how's this going to make me look, or how's this going to, you know, help me out financially. And, um, so at like 18 years sober, I have this terrible habit. I got to tell you guys, I, I fall asleep spiritually. I, I, I just do every couple of years. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't even see it. And it kept, it kept happening to me and still continues to happen to me over and over. And, um, and so I, um, I, I'm in this restaurant and my sister and I were, you know, going to choke each other every day. And I think she's the problem and everybody else is the problem because I can never see the truth about myself. And, uh, she told me that she didn't want to be in business with me anymore, that I was actually unbearable to be around. And, uh, I, I didn't, it wasn't like, um, I, I reacted like, I'm so sorry, you know, how can I make this better? I left with a gigantic resentment and, you know, plotting, I don't know, my exit there or something. And, um, and by the time I got home, I was on my knees, like a full surrender again in, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, 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 and the thing is, is I've had like a lot of like emotional bottom surrenders here in AA and I didn't even, I don't know. I thought that I, I had a lot of things wrong. I thought you went through the steps once and you go help a bunch of people. That's what we were told, right? Um, that you have one surrender and that is that you'll never drink again. Like I give up, you know, I surrender. I can't do it. God can. And I, um, I got to tell you, I was in so much pain. And, and for the first time, I, I think I said to God, like, I need help and I don't even know what my help looks like. And I'm 18 and a half years sober. And I, I said, I, I just need help. That's it. Right. Like I, I knew that if I continued on being that resentful and that financially insecure that I was going to pick up a drink. And, and with that, I kept going to meetings where I would run into this guy and he had three and a half years sober. And I was always told these rules in AA that men with the men, women with the women, your sponsor has to have more time than you. Like, you know, and, and I thought I was following these rules. And, um, and at 18 and a half years sober, I went to a guy in AA and I said, I, I need your help. He had three and a half years. And I knew that he just was so lit up by AA and, and that he had a solution for me. I knew it. And I, so I asked him to help me and he said, Claire, I don't know if I could help you because you're sober a really long time and you know, the big book and you're sponsoring people. Like, I don't know what I could do for you. And I said, just please help me. And he got real quiet and he said, and he sat there for a minute. And he said, um, 
did you ever hear the set aside prayer? And I said, yes. And he said, well, we're going to say that prayer right now. And I said, I just lied to you. I never heard that prayer before in my life. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, this is going to be great. So um, actually he sponsored me for 12 years. And, and what happened was he said something to me that was like really eye-opening. He said, you know, Claire, there's a lot of people that have a lot of time sober and they rely on old experiences in AA and they're not good. They're not bad. They're just old and they're not working anymore. And I think that's what's happening to you. And I think what you need is a new experience. And I said, okay, I didn't even know what he was talking about. Sure. And, um, and he said, I, you know, and he opened up the big book and, um, and so, you know, it was a pretty amazing relationship where, everything that he had directed me to do was very black and white. And, and there were times where I would argue with him and, you know, I don't want to do that. Or, and what I didn't realize is that I was picking and choosing on, it was like a buffet in AA of what I was going to do uh, today to treat my alcoholism. And, um, and he would say to me real simple things like, Claire, it doesn't matter if you take this direction, meaning it won't affect his life at all, but it's certainly going to affect mine. And um, I was like, oh, like he had all these zingers, you know? And, um, but there was something about that relationship that was very just black and white, either take the direction or you don't. And, um, and I remember like three months later, he said to me, Claire, how's things with your sister? And and I said, we had lunch today. Well, that might not be a big thing to you, but that was pretty big to me where we weren't even talking. And, uh, you know, the first direction I think he gave me was to keep my big fat mouth shut and go to work at the restaurant that I owned and do the dishes. And I was like, what? That's your direction? Keep your fat mouth shut and go do the dishes? She said, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. That's what you're doing. And I would do the dishes with gritted teeth, you know, and, and I would pray and pray and pray the whole time. I mean, I was twisted. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I thought that was huge that my sister and I had lunch and, uh, you know, Dave again, took me through the 12 step process. And I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I go to him one day and I said, you know, I think I need a spiritual director, right? I'm coming up on 20 years sober. Don't people with 20 years get a spiritual director? He's like, yeah, sure. Claire, go ahead. Right. Like I just cook, like go to my mind and, you know, come up with an idea. And so I started to go to this retreat house. And for the first time in all the years I had been sober, this little nun taught me how to meditate. And I had never done meditation. And I didn't understand, like, I mean, clearly there was things that I wasn't doing in all these years, but I thought I was doing. And, um, and she taught me a couple different ways to meditate. And I had been going to her for a while. And I felt like my spirit was like real calm and real peaceful. And I, and I would go to her and say, I just want to get near God. I just want to get near God. I don't want anything else, you know? Because the most painful time I've ever experienced in all the years that God has kept me sober was that I couldn't feel the presence of God and I was terrified. And, um, and so I really was going very often. And one day I said to her, did I ever tell you I own a restaurant? And she said, no, 
like you've been governing me for I don't know a year and a half now and I said oh yeah I own a restaurant and we're financially like you know busted and it's really stressful and she said do you ever talk to God about it and I said well I asked him for money and she laughed and she said listen to me right now you go into the chapel and you say to God like everything you just told me and um I said okay and I went to this little chapel and I said uh I don't even know if you hear me, right? Because I'm traveling with this agnostic that I didn't, I, I really doubted God. Uh, I don't know if you hear my prayers, God. I don't even know if you're with me sometimes. Like I know that you're with me because everyone says you are, but I don't always feel you. And um, I don't know what to do. And I don't know, um, do I keep this restaurant open? You know, do I just walk away? I just can't live like this anymore. Like I can't live with this torture of trying to figure it out, trying to, you know, manipulate money and, you know, remortgage my house. And, you know, this just, I can't do it anymore. And uh, like almost like another surrender. And I said, I just need a sign whether you want me to keep this restaurant or not. And um, that's what I'm asking for a sign. And I was ready to leave the chapel. And of course I had to add, but I need a big sign because I'm pretty delusional. If you send me a reservation for two people tonight, my mind will go, oh yeah, God really wants me to keep this restaurant open. Like, so please make it clear. And I got to tell you that four hours later, I walk into this restaurant and the waiter that worked for us said to me, you just got a phone call from a lady who's a producer in Hollywood and you've been anonymously nominated for a television show. Uh, it's a reality show that helps restaurants that are in trouble. And I was like, stop it, you know? And uh, I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah, I think she's, I think she's for real. And I said, okay. Right. And I'm like, this has got to be a scam. So I call the lady and and she told me what show it was and asked me if I ever watched the show. And I said, are you kidding? I watch it all the time. And, uh, and she said, are you guys in trouble? And I said, yeah. Um, she said, listen, we get 2000 emails a day and people are begging to be on this show. She said, we got one little email about your restaurant and it really caught our attention. And I said, was it me? And she said, no, all it said was, I think these girls could use your help. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, I thought that was a pretty big sign. I never imagined that I would get picked for this reality show. And um, I don't know how big your God is or how funny your God is, but it just got bigger and bigger. I mean, I got, I was on this television show. I was on Good Day Philadelphia twice. I was on 34 radio stations. I mean, it was just getting ridiculous, you know, but, but, but it wasn't the fact that all that was going on. What blew me away was that like God was with me this whole time and I didn't know it. Right. And, and I always have these ideas of how God should show up. And it was probably the first time that I ever just stopped telling God how to be God. And I stopped telling help how to help me. And it took me 20 years. And, um, and my prayers got real simple. Like I would just wake up and say, God, help me be of service today. Show me what you want me to do. I stopped asking for crap, you know, and, um, and I got to tell you, like I wrote that out. It was pretty amazing experience. And I, 
I rode that out for a good five years. And at 25 years sober, I fell back asleep again in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I didn't know that's what was happening to me. You know, um, the meditation went out the window. I stopped 10 stepping. You know, I wasn't doing a nightly review. I wasn't doing any of the things um, that I guess are the growth steps or the maintenance steps and, um, and that we are supposed to continue with, right? Because the 10 steps says that we continue and, and I wasn't continuing. And, um, and so that phenomenon that the 12, uh, the 12 and 12 talks about that, you know, steps one and 12 was pretty much my theme throughout all these years. And, um, and I was coming up on 30 years sober and um, I got asked to speak at this big conference. And of course I'm thinking, what me? Like, I'm just like a, you know, a church basement, you know, kind of. And I, I got so afraid because internally I felt like I, the truth that I, that I knew was that I had nothing, I had nothing to offer. And so this conference get, is getting closer and I'm getting really afraid because I'm supposed to be up with these, you know, what I thought were like, you know, these, I guess, famous AA speakers, whatever that means. Right. And, um, and I called my friend Patty one day and I said, I'm out. And she said, what? I said, I'm not doing it. And that's how I get, like, it's not like, you know, I asked for help. I, I'm quitting AA, right? Because I'm, I'm too afraid to do this, right? And I know I got nothing. I'm not going to embarrass myself. And she's like, Claire, what are you even talking about? And, um, and she's trying to almost like, you know, stroke my ego by saying, you know, you got a home group, you got that, you know, and I'm like, nope, I got nothing. I said, what am I going to do? Go up to a podium and say, hi, I'm Claire. I have 30 years sober. I currently treat my alcoholism with Netflix, cupcakes, I sleep 15 hours a day and I pretty much hate everyone. Good message. Thank you so much. And she is like, wow, man, like, you know, like, come on. And she said, do me a favor, call my friend. And I said, ah, I don't want to call another person. And she's like, I think she can really help you. And, and I said, okay, but my little brother's on his way here and he's a lot. So I got to wait till he leaves. Right. And my little brother was sober, you know, in AA at the time, I guess he had like 26 years. He's a real character. And, um, and I said, after he leaves, and in the meantime, I'm going to listen to this lady's talk, right? Like, so I, I, I actually started uh, to listen to one of her talks on um, online, and she had the same sober date as me when she introduced herself. My name is Sarah and her sober day was July 25th. And I'd never heard anyone with the same day, different years. And, um, and I said, all right, God, I just heard you loud and clear. And I called this lady and she was not baffled at all. She knew exactly what I was suffering from. And she told me that it, again, that it was untreated alcoholism. And, and like, I didn't really believe that it was because I actually thought that I was treating my alcoholism. And she said, well, let's challenge that and ask some questions. Claire, do you 10 step every day? And I said, no. And she said, well, how often do you 10 step? I said, when I'm really jammed up. And she said, okay. And she said, um, do you do, what's your meditation practice look like? I said, zilch. And she said, Claire, these are daily practices. And I got to tell you, it sounds like you're picking and choosing. 
you know, and that you're really not treating your alcoholism and that you're very deceived by thinking that you are. And she said, would you be open to do a, a line by line reading of the big book with me? Well, we're not going to talk about your drinking. We're going to talk about care and alcoholism and what that looks like. And I was just like, my mind was blown at 30 years sober. No one ever used the term care and alcoholism. And instead of like using the bedevilments as statements, she turned them into questions. She said, you know, are you having trouble in personal relationships? And I said, yes. And she said, with who? And I was like, oh, I got like a scroll, you know? And she was like, yeah. She said, that's what happens, right? All these resentments start piling up again, all these fears, all this. And like, I just, it just blew my mind. And I had never gone that deep in the big book with anyone and um and so I had a whole new experience uh like three and a half years ago and um and thank god right see I I'm I'm that alcoholic that thinks that the 12 steps is not really going to help me right it's never going to work it's not it's, it's got to be something else I need something else and um and they work every single time and um they're not broken and I you know I don't know if I was really sponsored the way that I'm sponsored now. And I, and I mean this in a way that I am completely transparent. There's nothing that I have to hide from her. I don't have to pretend to be someone else. Um, I, she taught me about stage characters. I knew, knew nothing about, I mean, I read it in the book, but I didn't really understand what they meant. Um, we had to name my stage characters. We did an inventory that just blew my socks off. And um, this experience that I had um, and, and, and I'm still having, I just like, I didn't know that that could happen at 30 years sober. And she said, Claire, we're, we're not old timers. We're seasoned beginners. Nobody's mastered this. Nobody, right? That's why we're here in this room, because we all need to learn and grow. And it kind of brought me back to when I came to AA and some old, very kind old timer said to me, always remain teachable, kid. Always remain teachable. Be open. And, and they would say things that I didn't really understand, but I do now. And, um, you know, I don't know if I fully understand alcoholism, because I think the insidious part about alcoholism, it starts to change after, you know, many years, right? I'm no longer thirsty. I don't want to pick up a drink. I don't think that, that, uh, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, I can't use alcohol safely in any form. I, um, I have conceded to my innermost self, but alcoholism, this spiritual malady, man, I really didn't have a clue of what I actually was suffering from. And, um, and so as a result of going through this, I felt more awake and aware than I had ever, ever experienced. And, um, and so I, um, if I don't send nightly review within two nights, um, I'm getting a text. Like I'm very accountable to her and I don't usually miss. Um, but there was a period about a little bit over, I guess about, it's about a year and a half now that I missed. Um, so my little brother who, um, you know, I told you a little bit about, he was funny. Um, he was the first person that I ever knew that started a big book study. 
and I was five years sober and he came in and him and his friends started a big book study in Northeast Philadelphia. And that study's still going on. And, um, he, it was, it's 28 years later and he, you know, really lit up and was real fired up in AA. And then I watched him get married and move away and stop making AA, right. Stop calling sponsors, stop, you know, service. It's just started to like slowly diminish. And then I watched the untreated alcoholism where he thought that, you know, he maybe had depression or he was bipolar and and it, it certainly looks a lot like that, left untreated. This illness is going to kill us. And, um, and I would ask him to please come back to AA. Just, just come back to AA, Dookie. You know what I mean? Just call one of your guys. And, um, and that's the thing. Like, you can't convince somebody to come back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And they, they always argue with you. Well, I don't want to drink. I have no desire to drink, right? As if that's the, the main goal here, right? The name of the game. And and, um, and I, you know, I just, there was nothing any of us could do. Um, when he has four kids and all his brothers and sisters and everyone that loves and cares about him, nobody could get through to him. And, uh, at 28 years sober, my little brother took his life. And I think that's what untreated alcoholism really looks like that you can get that dark in your thoughts that that looks like an option, right? It sounds sane and sound, like a good idea. And um, that was the only time I really missed a chunk of not doing nightly review. And and it wasn't self-pity. It wasn't, it, it was brutally painful to experience that kind of grief. But the difference, because I had just went through the 12 steps again, and I was sponsored, um, like I had never been sponsored before. The difference was that I knew that it was grief and that God was with me. And he, it was during the shutdown. So I, I basically sat home in pajamas and, and, and I had the space to just go through that pain. And it was unreal. Like I would just wake up and it would take my breath away and thank God for Zoom because all I could do was just turn on a meeting and just sit and listen. And, and, it, and I didn't have to, you know, go anywhere. I didn't, I just had to show up on zoom meetings and wow, man, it was just like a time where, you know, it's almost like it was a sacred time that I got to experience that pain and, and it wasn't fun. Um, but the only people I would talk to is like, um, maybe like two of my sponsees, my best friend and my sponsor, and of course, family members, which I have a ton of. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't do any, like, I couldn't go out. Like I couldn't. And, um, within about two or three months, my sponsor said, Ari, Claire, it's time. It's time to get back, get back into AA, get back into service. And, and I was ready. And, um, I don't know, even know if that made any sense, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> God certainly carries me and has since the minute I walked in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And even though I didn't do most things right, and I didn't understand a lot of things that God kept me sober anyhow, I um, I don't know where I'd be without the fellowship. I've met some amazing people in AA, and I got to sit on Zoom meetings and hear speakers I never would have heard 
unless I went to like a, you know, weekend conference or something like that. And, and, um, and because of that, like, I just felt like I was safe and protected this whole time. And, um, thank God for that. And thank you for groups like this that continue to carry the message and continue to, you know, hold zoom meetings and big book studies, because I think it's still needed. And I know a lot of zoom meetings have closed down, but like, I still like, I still love Zoom and I've sponsored people that would say to me, I'm not, I don't like Zoom. I'm not going, they're stupid or I don't get it or I don't feel connected. And I was like, untreated alcoholism, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's all untreated alcoholism. And, um, and like, I, that wasn't my experience. My experience was I really loved and embraced Zoom and, uh, and thank God for that because it saved my life at a time that was really painful. And, um, don't know where I'd be. Don't know where I'd be without this sponsorship that has um, just carried me. And I'm not talking about just having a sponsor, being able to be in service and sponsor other alcoholics. You know, I, I think it's a pretty cool that I get asked to speak on a meeting, but I think we're um, most effective and probably most needed um, is one-on-one sitting down with another alcoholic, open the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and watch the, you know, the lights come on and watch people have experiences and, and watch them pass it on to other people. And, you know, I get to see that a lot at my home group because I've been there for so long. Um, but I, I just, um, I, I, I'm still amazed um, at AA and how it works. And it really does work. I know there was a guy on the beginning, his name was Brian, and he said this was like one of his first meetings. So welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Um, and also uh, Winona, happy anniversary. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for asking me to be here. And I think that's it. 